0: Interstate Batteries is a proud supporter of the sportsman's nation, and these guys have been around a very long time. And why do you stick around a long time? It's because you treat your customers the right way, and you provide your customers with a product that works. So if you want to find out more information about Interstate Batteries, their history, their company culture, their devotion to the customer, what you need to do is visit interstatebatteries.com or stop in to one of their thousands of retail locations all over the United States and talk with a battery specialist today. Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Friday edition of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and the Nine Finger Chronicles is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Now, I don't know about you, but there are days where if you ask me what day it is, I probably wouldn't know. I would just be guessing, and uh, I know that there's probably some of you who feel like that and... and. Uh, so I'm trying to go and enjoy my weekend, right? Uh, I'm, I'm cutting out of the office a little bit earlier than normal, which is when I say office, it's my house. We're leaving early on Friday and we're heading up to get away from our house for a little bit. We've rented a cabin up in northeast Iowa. We're going to go fishing with my father-in-law. He's already sent a text saying he knows where some good fish are at. We're going to go to a farm pond. We're going to do some hiking. We're going to spend some time outside, isolated and hopefully away from the TV, away from our phones, away from any of this craziness that is happening and just focus on family and focus on ripping some lips. So that's what I got coming up this weekend hopefully you guys get outside and do something exciting as well and speaking of exciting today's guest we're going to be talking with Clayton Campbell now you may know him from the was it uh, Heartland Bowhunter TV show right they have a TV show they have a web show they have a huge following and he's on their team and uh, today man I do a hunter profile on him we talk about when he got introduced into hunting how he got introduced to the outdoors we talk about how he was introduced to bow hunting we talk about you know his passion and and when it kind of went into overdrive we talk about the transition from maybe more of a mobile hunter to uh, doing food plots and how him joining the television show had made him have to focus on things other than you know Planning food plots for for good filming and all these other things, but most importantly, we talk about how he has introduced his kids into hunting. Now his kids are older, so I ask him advice on what I should be doing uh, to to basically not pressure my kids into hunting I want to make sure that uh every time I go out it's a good experience and uh we talk about that uh and it basically this is just a hunter profile podcast about two dudes who love the outdoors and it's just a good old-fashioned conversation now before I get into the podcast we got to do a commercial now I'm sure you've seen me on Instagram if you follow me on Instagram you need to. There's, I wear a hat all the time, and it's from a company called The Average Conservationist. Now, not only do these guys make kick-ass apparel, they make some really cool shirts, hooded sweatshirts. They make uh, a really cool, um, tons of cool hats. There's three right now that I'm wearing in rotation, and I'm debating on which one is going to be my tree stand hat for the for the upcoming year, or what one I'm going to wear on my hunts. And uh, I, have a, I have two, I think, that uh, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards. But regardless, these guys have a cool logo. It's an apparel company. And uh, you need to go check it out, theaverageconservationist.com. Now, here's the cool thing. These guys donate 10% of all of their earnings to conservation efforts. That means when you're buying a hat from them in in a roundabout way, you are giving back to conservation. So donate to conservation at the same time, get a kick-ass hat or a hoodie or a t-shirt. Again, theaverageconservationist.com. Check them out, buy some clothing and uh, give back, man. It's pretty simple. So there's the commercial. Enough of me talking. Let's get into today's episode with Clayton Campbell. And I'm going to start recording in three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Clayton Campbell. How you doing, man? I'm uh,
1: doing fantastic. Thanks for calling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we're going to talk a whole bunch today about a variety of different things. Uh, this is going to be a bit of a Hunter Profile podcast. But uh, the first thing that I always ask everybody is where are you from and what do you do for a
1: living? Sure. I grew up in a little small midwestern town just south of Wichita called Clearwater, Kansas. I won't fault you for not hearing about it. Uh, <laughs> pretty pretty small. I'd, I'd say like 4,000 people, and I'm sure everybody will correct me with that. But it was just a small town. Had a co-op and a cases type of a scenario. Yep. Lived just south of town on the Ninnosca River, and uh, my family had a little bit of ground there for me and my cousins to run around on that's kind of where my roots started and at the present time and hopefully we'll retire I'm a land agent with Midwest Land Group so I've kind of combined passions so to speak and it doesn't feel like I've been working much lately with uh, (laughs) the opportunities I get to spit on the outdoors right right let me ask you as a as a land agent
0: how has the buying and selling of land been right now through this whole corona thing
1: you know, I think the housing market is is a little bit different than the land scenario. We've I've actually seen an uptick in activity that could be because some people are home more, you know, over the last couple of months. But, you know, as far as Midwest Land Group and the agents that I've been dealing with, personally, my partners through the brokerage, man, we have been super busy not necessarily closing the stuff that we put under contract several months ago, but putting things under contract, I've honestly, I've been busier in the first, but in about the last two months, than I have been in, than what I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. So So, it's been been good. I mean, it's been, it's been real. It's been great.
0: How are, you know, I'm from Iowa and land prices, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a real estate guy. I'm not a land guy, but over time, you know, uh, land prices kind of go up and then they maybe go down just a little bit and then they go up again. Um, where are Kansas land prices these days?
1: I think we're still, like you said, we're, you know, there's this trend right of kind of up, down, up, down, but the trend is up. Um, I think I saw the last Missouri, land survey and i think we're like on a seven percent increase i don't think that's really any much different than kansas but you know you ride the wave i don't know if they'll continue to rise or not but we're on a a steady incline up you know it's just a great investment and honestly a, a usable investment that people are trying to really get a hold of you know they can put some money in land and get some equity and and utilize it and hunt and fish and do everything else at the same time. So it's a unique opportunity to get, uh,
0: diversified so to speak. Yeah, definitely. A, a dream of mine is to someday own a, a chunk of land big enough. Like, here's my dream. I'm going to lay it out for you. Here's my dream. I want to be able to have a pond that has bluegill crappie bass in it. I want to have enough acreage to, um, put a couple tree stands in there and chase deer, you know, especially, for my kids, deer and Turkey, and then uh, maybe some CRP for, you know, some pheasants or something like that. Not, not a lot, but, uh, that's a dream. It's always been a dream of mine to own land and, uh, get, uh, get what I want out of it. Right. And then at the same time, maybe if it's, uh, if I have enough, uh, maybe have a small operation where not necessarily where I'm making a huge profit off livestock, but enough to raise for my own you know, and maybe, you know, feed my family with it. So that's, that's a dream of mine. And I, I think uh, when, when you actually, when you are uh, dealing with a, a client, um, what are they looking for as far as, you know, when obviously you probably run into a variety of different people, some are agriculture, some are recreational, where's that split at?
1: You know, I just like to ask a bunch of questions and. For the record, I took a bunch of notes, and I'm going to put you in my database, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're now a potential buyer. Well, um, I tell
0: you what, man. Hey, if uh, <laughs> if Kansas land prices are uh, lower than Iowa's, which I'm, I are they? Do you happen to know? Oh
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah, especially
1: on the tillable side. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, uh, so
1: yeah. Who, hey, maybe I'll be a landowner in Kansas. I just full disclosure, you're going to be in my database. Uh, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> Uh, You know, so I I love to ask a bunch of questions to really get to the root of how I can best um, help and serve my clients. Yeah. So, just through a bunch of series of questions and trying to understand their end goal, you know, we can try to determine what type of farm, whether it's multi use or just straight ag or potential home build site or you name it. Just like with what you mentioned, everybody wants either pond or live water you know, enough acreage to maybe hunt some deer, uh, the pheasants, I, you know, that's really how I got my passion into the outdoors is chasing pheasants, uh, with my dad. I don't know if he had enough money to really buy a bird dog. So I was kind of that <laughs> for him, you know, I was I've, been busting, busting. I've been there, I've been there. Yeah. So, um, but the same thing, people, you know, they kind of want to be, I, I don't want to say self sustainable, but, you know, they want to be able to, 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 have an opportunity to utilize the benefits of what the land has to offer. And so, right. whether you, you have a couple cows or ch- chicken coop or you name it, um, you know, that's my dream too is to, you know, have a, a farm that is multi purpose. And uh, not only that, but man, just sharing those things with your kids as they grow up. Those are experiences that they won't get inside um, anywhere else in the city. So, you get them outside and let them problem solve and do those things. And I just think it produces a better kid when you get them outside.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I want to kind of transition now into something that you, you, uh, that you said about, you know, pheasants and how you kind of cut your teeth uh, on pheasants. I want to ask you this question. What is your earliest childhood memory of the outdoors?
1: That's a very good question. I would have to say sitting on the bank of, the famed Croker's Pond with my dad and Jigs in the rain. Like there was this one spot around this at the time it felt like a lake. <laughs> now it's, it's very it's much smaller because I'm a little <laughs> bit bigger. But I would sit there and watch bobbers go under uh with crappie as they got got pulled out of the water. That that's probably my first childhood memory about the outdoors. Right so did you and I, and I and i and i it was just i was living the best years of my life doing that yeah it's almost like that uh there's
0: like a country western song where the guy is like this could be the best day of my life and he's talking about mm-hmm. going fishing with his dad okay right so um and by the way i'm a horrible singer so i apologize there but um
1: nailed it nailed, nailed it, it.
0: <laughs> watch out george Strait. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so. Did you come from an outdoor family? I mean were your were your parents or your uncles uh, all outdoors men and women?
1: You know, I remember seeing pictures. I the answer is yes. Like I remember seeing a picture of my grandma and grandpa in a 19 you know, 50s car holding shotguns and pheasants. And so, you know, my grandma Millie was pretty ba like she you know she got out there and did that stuff and owned her own little bakery and so the outdoor roots run pretty deep within my family aunts and uncles and and uh it really was birds for us is what my dad did a lot of fishing and, and bird hunting so dove and not so much duck not much on the waterfowl but upland you know we did a lot of pheasant hunting and quail hunting and that's what i you know becoming a pheasant dog and a retriever uh the first several years of my life before they let me carry a can with no shells that was that was kind of how I got started
0: yeah and I'll tell you what man that is my that is one of my first hunting experiences outside of you know for, as far as the outdoors are concerned outside of fishing my uncle picks me up one day and he says all right you want to come pheasant hunting with me and uh I was like, uh, yeah, let's do this, and I don't know how old I was, probably 11, 10, 10 years old, something like that, and he gave me a 12-gauge, and I, could, I just remember it being so heavy that I don't know how I was going to do it, and he had this, this lab Weimaraner mix, and his name was Kujo. And this dog was just really good, and he, and he wouldn't point. He would just go get the the pheasants and bring them back to you without jumping them up most of the time. So uh, I can I can just remember he popped a pheasant up, and I shot him, and it kicked, and I thought I was the greatest hunter alive. I didn't want to go hunting anymore. All I wanted to do is go brag to my grandma and brag to my mom. And that right there is one of the first hunting memories that i have i still have the picture uh in my office here somewhere and uh i don't know man uh pheasant hunting pheasant hunting is something that i wish i could do more of but in iowa the 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 pheasant populations are down a little bit what are the pheasant populations like out in kansas these days
1: yeah first off man that's a cool story. Yeah. I love hearing that. Like, I, 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 I can see myself in that position, and I, you know, put my son in that position here a couple of years ago mm-hmm. where there's just nothing better than having cousins and uncles and dads and, you know, everybody tromping through grass and eating salami and crackers <laughs> at the end of the run. You know, right, it's right. just, I, I love, I lo- that's awesome. Um, yeah. But yeah, pheasants are down. They're not, it's not fantastic mm-hmm. where, where we've been hunting. It, we always my daddy's the all time guide when we go back, he usually scouts places and he raises uh and short hairs and uh, miss Sally is number one on the list right now for the the gun the gun dog but it's it's been a little rough I mean we always do Thanksgiving and christmas uh, family hunts, but it's been we always have a good time yeah. sometimes there's are just not not as many long tails on the tailgate, yeah. I hear you.
0: All right, so I'm I'm personally a whitetail nut. You know, I'm, I'm that crazy guy who thinks about it every day. When did
1: you start deer hunting? A little bit later than what most people might do. For whatever reason, I remember my Uncle Bob. So we lived right on the river. You know, I could see trees from... In a wheat field from essentially my bedroom window and just never had a, you know, just never had an influence to, you know, to have that spark. And uh, I remember my uncle Bob shooting deer and seeing it as he, you know, pulled it out of the bottoms and it, he's the one that got me started. I remember the old bear green razorhead broadheads that, you know, I went down into his basement and I would just tinker with him and it honestly it might have been just because he was giving me some attention on something that I, I wanted to understand more about but i yeah. just remember just getting immersed um in that and that switch flip i didn't have a lot of money but i remember asking my parents to get me a white uh, a, a bow a bow for christmas i remember it was a bear white tail too that they got somewhere i have no idea and man I just started throwing curveballs with arrows, (laughs) because that was what it felt like. And, uh, you know, at a hay bale near the red barn and walking around with, like, your dog. I had an Alaskan Mound. She came with me, and, you know, we'd sneak through hedgerows and stuff, Where I, kind of where I grew up. There's a mix of pasture, timber, rough pastures, and I remember seeing my first deer fight you know, climbing up in hedge trees, trying to get something done. It took several years to even get a shot at at one. That was, so it was, uh, at the end of my high school career is kind of when I started Okay. to to have that passion.
0: So in your, um, in your mid teens is when you started is when you're, you kind of got interested in bow hunting and then it took you a while. I mean, you started off bow hunting, right? It sounds like you didn't, you didn't start off with a gun.
1: No. Uh, yeah no gun hunting it was just a bow um it was kind of funny my during sometimes during the pheasant season I I remember my dad and my uncles sometimes they would buy deer tags some of the pheasant ground that we were hunting you know it it was like they would always put a slug like in the you know in the number five hole just in case you know they had a deer run by but that was just you know for fun I think but Yeah. yeah it was just straight bow right out of the gate right and um started from there man it was long heart ropes I didn't have anybody that didn't have any tree stand money didn't you know I just was kind of like a little Indian kid you know trying to go out and bring meat
0: back for the <laughs> right. family right that's uh funny you say that because I can remember when my mom got me my first bow and we got a bale of hay from my grandpa's grandpa's yard and or from my grandpa's farm and I we all my arrows were different Uh, all the heads were different, you know? So what I know today is like, you need to have consistently, you know, your arrows need to be weighing consistent. So you're shooting accurate. And I hit like, you know, 10 arrows or five arrows, not even close to one another on this bale of hay. And I was like, man, I am ready. I am ready to hunt. (laughs) Just Looking back at it. it. Yeah. Yep. I hit it. Oh, deer are going to die. Right. And, uh, uh, I can, I, I look back at that now. I'm like, Ooh. I probably, I probably should have stayed out of a timber, you know, a little bit longer and practiced my archery, but you know, just like you, it's it's that learning curve that actually teaches us. It's not somebody else. It's our experiences that have a lot of weight in, in, um, what direction we go. How long, how long did it take you, you know, to, to understand what deer were doing, understand you know, how they reacted to your pressure, understand, uh, you know, like body language and all these things.
1: Man, I would say quite a while. <clears throat> I didn't understand how keen deer were back then. Uh, and just like you, man, I get, it's almost like I'm in my front yard right now with those twenty-one, seventeen game getters, you know, with the five-inch fletchings. Yep. <laughs> And those bear razor heads, I can like almost see it, you know, in my hands. So it, it taking me back. You put the way back hat on for that, but, um, it took me a while. Like I, and the one thing I always try to tell people that are getting started, everybody tries to jump ahead in, well, did you get a deer? Right. I, I think it was, if I can remember, I right, probably one, two, like maybe three seasons before I harvested a deer. It felt like, yeah. And I do remember that one, by the way. Um, but I learned so much of what, how I was doing it wrong, that I think it really propelled me because I, I was kind of prideful, you know. I, everybody, oh, you got a book for Christmas? Well, did you get a year this year? No, nope. <laughs> you know, no. Nope. Mm-hmm. So I had to say nope several times. But it really try, it really propelled me into try to understand okay in this game of chess that i don't know much about how can i stack these odds in my favor so it was it it was a struggle you know to try to see deer plus we just didn't have that many around where i lived like out my back door because i didn't have the you know a, a lot of time to drive somewhere and spend extra time with all my extracurricular activities so essentially i had to go behind the house which is literally a cow pasture with a small creek yeah with hedge trees that were Maybe ten feet tall, so my ground game got good. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, and I'm sure that was
0: frustrating, right? Because you, you at some point you had to have learned that tree stands probably give you the advantage, right? And you, if I had to guess, you were getting frustrated in that three year, you know, in that three year time because on the ground, there's probably some benefits to hunting from the ground, but wide open. Kansas you're basically having to use these these hedge trees and the terrain to hide yourself were you getting frustrated at times to the point where you ever thought about setting it down
1: no it was just throwing more logs on the fire really um was pretty determined that I wasn't going to let that win um you know that frustration and that I wouldn't say fr- yeah I would say frustrated it, it was but I didn't ever get upset about it it was it was just more wood for the fire and so understanding you know obviously just when I would see a deer track it was exciting <laughs> and so when I would see a rub it was like oh my gosh like I must be doing something right yeah and and so I do remember finally figuring it out that okay where do you see all the deer in the okay they're on the wheat fields okay then where are they going to go back and so I started to because no one was telling me I didn't read magazines or anything. It was all self-taught type scenario, which, you know, I just love because I can claim it as my own. And uh, yeah, climbing up in nooks of, of crooked hedge trees was the way to get off the ground, even five to eight feet to see a little bit further. And uh, from there, once I got into college, it was, I think it was my freshman or sophomore year in college when I finally got you know, use some of that Pell Grant money that I probably should have been buying books with and, uh, I love a tree stand at Walmart, (laughs) bought a a pallet, pallet worth, you know, maybe bartered a pallet of wood off somebody and built several tree houses and tree stands. And so that's when that's when it felt like I started to get into the game.
0: So did, did your hunting passion or hunting, uh, times, you know, time spent hunting overall slow down when you got into college?
1: I hope my mom's not listening. Um, It probably doubled or tripled.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, that's a good thing. You know, I tell you what, my mom would have probably uh, would have appreciated if I would have done more hunting and fishing and less of what I actually did. And uh, but, you know, for for me, it was hunting took a backseat at that point. I was into the social thing, you know, the bars, the girls, the, you know, tailgating, the, you know, you know, I played rugby and whatnot, but, uh, so when you got to college, it just, it just was like overdrive from there.
1: Oh yeah. I didn't, I don't I can't even tell you, I can probably count on one hand the times that I went to a bar in the first several years of college. Cause I was either working or out of the woods, a, a really dear friend of mine, uh Ron Mason aka Rumpy he and I spent so much time out in the element just couldn't get enough i'm sure there was a teacher or two that counted us both absent a uh, time or two whether it be <laughs> chemistry or you name it but we we really hit overdrive yeah. like you said when in college yeah we spent a ton of time outdoors
0: so late teens early 20s is when is, is Is that when you would say you became hardcore? I mean, is that when you would say, because I feel like there's different levels to someone's to someone's passion, right? For me, college, I was low. I, I did it when there was nothing else to do, um, or when I would go back home for a break. and then after college, even I, I jumped into the the, the working world, I felt like I was missing something, and then in 2006 is when I cannonballed back into. Uh, the outdoors right specifically deer hunting was was that the the jump off for who you are and what you are now
1: yeah and here's another thing too that just came to mind I remember doing an interview for a college class I can't even remember which one speech or composition or something I interviewed the local taxidermist here Bruce Jameson here in Pittsburgh because I wanted to know more like I wanted to immerse myself in this outdoor you know industry and ended up buying a bow from him a Pearson spoiler because I'd had another one that Bear Whitetail too got stolen down here in college dang and that that also kind of that was another step up in my game I didn't have a ton of money again I probably used book money for that bow too but the key point was I didn't have a ton of money but I had a ton of time to give to the sport so I would say if you know time treasure talent I, I gave all my time probably more than the fair share to the hunting thing just, just i enjoyed it and it was really kind of a camaraderie thing like Grumpy and i would you know trap and chase geese and snow geese and ducks and i mean whatever was in season we were at it i mean we were at it
0: yeah yeah that's crazy man um so you started diving into the the outdoors. Now, I want to talk about deer hunting specifically uh for a moment because I'm a nut and you're a nut. When did you start really focusing on strategy? And and what I mean by that is, you know, wind direction, access routes, you know, maybe Hey, maybe we should plant some food plots or maybe we need to get, you know, mobile or maybe, you know, you're looking at terrain and all that stuff. When did, when did you become obsessed with it? Like the, the strategy game.
1: That's a very good question. I would say probably in the 15 year ago category and a really good friend of mine, uh, Kirk Colt, they kind of took me underneath their wing too. um, I met him the first day of microbiology lab class. He was the only kid wearing camo. So be like, be to that table. Did we just and, become uh,
0: best friends <laughs> in a heartbeat?
1: I mean, I fell in love uh, right there with the camo. And so he, he and his family had been doing a strategy and not so much, maybe on the food plots, but studying, you know, over time, his dad and his uncle, Bruce, his dad, Larry, and uncle Bruce, they, they were nuts. And so I kind of immersed myself with Kirk too. So we would hunt together every year and I would learn from him and they are kind of hard-nosed old school, big timber, you know, saddles and all these things. So any, anybody that had a passion, I was listening and asking questions of, cause I'm not going to sit here and tell you I learned it all myself, but I'd ask a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, so I'd say about 15 years ago, really started to try to understand travel patterns bedding area i didn't have a lot of ground to hunt so it was a lot of public um i did have some private land to hunt with my buddy rumpy and uh you know when you lose you try to figure out how to win and when that happens you you know you 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 figure out access routes now i'm probably overly cautious on things i think my nickname is cautious clayton because (laughs) i'm you know i don't i don't you know skyler calls me cautious clayton a lot of times what it'll never fail. We'll be sitting in a tree nine times out of 10. And he will say, maybe we should be in that tree. Maybe we should be in that tree. Maybe that tree. And for me, we always start on the outside and kind of work our way in. No cannonballs, no, you know, rash decisions, (laughs) you know, because it only takes one time to bump a deer, a big, big deer. And the game's over. Maybe for the season. And so I I think kind of like with this COVID night thing, 19 thing you got going on you got to be real careful about how you interact and you know wiping down things and you want to be real safe and careful that's kind of the way i approach the whitetail woods is you know i i assume that any time that i mess up i could be bumping the 170 or the deer even the 140 that i'm hunting out and he goes nocturnal or moves yeah and so i try to be I try to keep that mentality, even checking trail cameras and, you know, people say to get used to deer be a human behavior in in their, in their woods. And that's probably true, but I always err on the side of caution or at least try to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I find myself doing that a lot, especially at my, my age, I turned 40 this November. So quick question. How old are you? Welcome to the club. (laughs) Oh buddy. I'm not there yet, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll accept your entry
1: yeah I'll say i'm half time I'm probably the uh, half time of my life so if I make it you know, we'll just say if I make it to ninety I'm almost a half time
0: okay I gotcha so i I have a problem with that too where i i just over-analyze everything to the point of probably doing myself a disservice, as opposed to just going with my gut feeling. Saying, "All right, dude, you know that you need to be on on this ridge, on this side of the ridge, half, you know, one third of the way down. The wind's doing this, thermal's doing this, blah 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 blah." But what I'll do is, hey, there's also another ridge over here where I could be, or there's a, you know. The, ooh, this this wind could be awesome over here or this or this and this and then i just overanalyze everything to the point of i start questioning myself and i should just be making a decision and getting in the tree
1: yeah i've I've probably been there too the good and bad thing about that is is when you let's call it um and man another good friend justin Dill, we call it the white tail calculator right you put in all of your Variables, all of your numbers, and you hit the equals, and if there's a if there's what feels like a successful um, outcome to that, you trust it. You know, you yeah. you, you trust the spot, you trust your, all of your homework, all of your decision making, all of the prep, and that'll help you sit in the tree longer. And so, I do love that part of it. This the other thing is, is if a cell fa- cell camera goes off on the other side of the farm, you're like, oh man, may, am I missing something over there? Yeah. What, like, why? Why that region? Sometimes it's just right place, right time, as we all know, or right dough, right time, whatever, you know, whatever the scenario right, is. But right. <clears throat> just like you, my mind's always moving. You know, what, what can we do to improve? What can we do to tweak what, you know, and Skyler does a really good job. Um, Skyler, was my hunting partner with, our bow hunter, he, you know, he, we take notes and he does there for a while, we'll do a journal you know, time, temperature, those types of things. So we could take it to that next level and try to determine maybe certain days or weather patterns. And so you can never completely get it figured out We can put as many chips on your side of the table as possible. So we try to do that uh, just to maximize our time because time is precious. Time is valuable, yeah. especially in the sweet November face.
0: That's right. That's right. So let me take a step back here and I want to talk to you about the, the point in your hunting career where maybe you started switching from I, I don't maybe you didn't even go through this walk maybe i'll just ask you walk us through your your progression as a bow hunter and what i mean by that at is did you were you it's brown it's down and then you went to hey i only want to shoot uh bucks or i want to you know fill the freezer or i want to pass you know, young deer to hopefully get them to an higher age class, or were you more focused on antlers? Kind of walk us through that, that timeline.
1: Sure. I'll just say this. I love harvesting animals with my bow, whether they're, you know, one year old doe or the wariest of old does. I do try to harvest mature bucks in this phase of my life, but you know, there for a while it was you know I'm, really it was just getting the experience of harvesting animals with my bow so there were several smaller bucks you know little basket racks that i shot but as every progression really of anything that you do you try to get better and maybe achieve a different goal i would say within two or three years maybe four years after shooting my first buck i really wanted a nice one quote air quotes yeah over 100, 100 over 100 inches or so and so I think as as I fooled more deer or put myself in positions to to see more deer close it you know the the stakes went up in the game so I thought okay if I can if I've done this right then maybe if I wait longer a bigger deer will come by and I'll you know hit a different echelon and you know my success so to speak and I again I say that lightly and loosely, but it really wasn't always about the biggest of the antlers. It was really just trying to achieve a goal. Um, I never really shot many big deer back then, but boy, I saw some, (laughs) you know, and that would drive the passion of, man, if I just wait a little bit longer. But even to this day, man, I I love harvesting does. I love eating the meat. I love sharing that with other people. But I'd say probably in the last 10 years, especially maybe with the Heartland Bowhunter side, trying to harvest a mature animal, maybe even a specific animal. Yeah. Yeah. Is, 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 has been a passion, um, food plotting, just putting in extra work, you know, Sean and Mike all, you know, drive that passion for us guys on the team. Cause we just try to improve habitat <clears throat> for the animals that we are chasing. And it, if it gives us another, a, a better opportunity to harvest a more and, and, let's call it you know an older age class animal then fantastic we're, we're willing to put in that time investment for the return yeah and it's really and honestly the, there's a memory factor in that too that is doesn't doesn't get talked about a ton but you know there's i remember Skyler, one of my favorite hunts ever i filmed him shooting a, a deer he calls brick which had actually shrunk from the year before but his boys were in town. His wife was in town. We got them on the track. It was the. Be- I mean, it was one of the best experiences that I've ever had in the woods. And it was a hundred and eighteen inch deer. You know, it was the. I mean, I can't even t- explain to you how fun and memorable of a of a hunt that was. <laughs> it was, but it wasn't. It wasn't the bi- his biggest deer. Matter of fact, it. Yeah. Yeah, let me ask it, you, it was just an interesting scenario but it, it was the, the best deer that he could have ever shot that year
0: yeah let me ask you this do you remember a time or a specific uh, deer where it was it was maybe your first time passing a th- a big three-year-old or a, a four-year-old that was was really hard for you Can, do you have a, a memory like that? And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll lead with a story. I had a, I had put together a hit list uh, a couple years ago. No, this is maybe, no, not a couple years ago. It's been like maybe 10 years ago. I had a hit list of bucks that I really wanted to have encounters with and, and I really wanted to shoot. And I had one of those deers where, I, I, I don't know if you've ever had a deer where you're like, please do not show up in front of me. Please don't, just don't stay away from me. I don't want to even be tempted with wanting to shoot you because there's a possibility that the next year you turned into a Magnum, right? So I, I had this deer, three-year-old, you know, obvious three-year-old. He finally comes through during the rut chasing a doe and he's maybe like a, a one, maybe a low one fifties, high one forty class. And I passed him. And I was just second-guessing myself, like shaking, just like, what did you do? You just passed a buck. You know, you you haven't even shot a 150 before. What are you doing? Why did you do that? And I I started like (laughs) – I I even had nightmares that night, like me passing that buck. And it was was really hard, but I did see that buck grow into a a bigger, you know, a a 170 class the following year. I never had a personal encounter with him, but I got to see – what happens when you pass uh, a a deer that's not quite mature yet. So did you ever have a a scenario like that play out?
1: Man, this isn't going to be a very good story, but honestly, I cannot remember. I'm looking here at the deer that I have in my office and each one of these I, I had history with. Yeah. And they're all... I, I've passed all all of the deer that I see here. I know that I had passed at least once or twice, but it was the goal. Um, usually Skylar and I get on the same page and say, okay, here, here's, here's the yes and here's the no type of yeah. thing for some accountability. But I, honestly, I can't remember a deer that I've passed that I say I should have shot, knowing that the goal was already to let him get bigger now seeing them yes i always love to see those big three and four year olds you know what they're doing what what travel corridors are they using what are they doing what time of day they're out so i've seen you know i try to log some of that stuff but I, honestly it's probably a bad story telling that i've i've just not had a deer that have has walked by that i said man i should have shot that there's plenty that i've wanted to see yeah live um I mean, I've been pretty blessed with, you know, harvesting some pretty nice deer and that has come because of patience.
0: Yeah. So how long ago you said about 15 years ago is when you started getting into the strategy real hard. How long ago was it when you started really getting into the habitat side of things like the, you know, whether it was hinge cutting or planting food plots or, you know, planting different warm season grasses or, or whatever. How long ago was
1: that? Very good question. So I'll, I'll, I'll ask this with a question Does does that include using my own rear tine tiller or a tractor?
0: It means <laughs> if you cut down a tree, one single tree with a, let's say a, a handsaw or, you know, did something to improve property or plant food plots. I mean, walk us through that progression because right now you're doing a lot of, a lot of work, right? What, what kicked that off? What started that?
1: Oh man. Yeah. So I'm looking at a deer called tall boy, which I think I probably should have let him get one more year older, but I, I got obsessed with this deer. He was on what's called the six acre wood it's a little bitty spot that I had permission on. So super small, had to be super careful, only hunt it, you know, in certain, even like an evening with a certain wind. And so I thought, man, how can I, how can I try to beat this deer? How can I, Improve the odds. So I took a push mower and would n- mow down some grass, scalp it. I remember taking a, a my a, my own rear tine tiller out there to try to break up some ground to plant like <laughs> what felt like a ten yard by twenty yard strip of you know hot shot, whatever the cheapest thing was at Walmart. <clears throat> this is probably ten years ago. Yeah. So that that started it so I just didn't have a lot of equipment to do it right but I you know I planted a couple apple trees you know anything that I could try to do to improve you know back then my kids were small so my you know diaper money and those types of things were more important than it was just I I had enough time to try to improve my odds and lo and behold it you know it it would attract a couple more does and a couple more deer and so that's kind of how that whole fuel got started and and then uh with Skylar and the filming stuff with HB that, you know, we thought Manafort rig going to maximize our time and give us a progression of habitat management, you know, become better stewards of the land that we have access to those types of things that just gradually evolved into, you know, old blue, a Ford 3000 and a brush hog and a tiller and a three row planner and, you know, all kinds of things. But, it, uh, it is, I call it dirt therapy. I mean, it's just fantastic to get out and get a little bit mindless at times <clears> that yeah. mindless, but you're thinking about, you know, just giving back to the land that's given me so much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So when, when you started going through that phase where you started manipulating the habitat, planting food plots, did you transition from a, or maybe you never were from a go and get them to a bring them, you know, bring them to us. Wait, let's wait for him. Style
1: of hunter, a little bit, and I keep saying this stuff with Harlan Bowhunter, but we have, I mean, we can't just sit in any tree with filming yeah. because with two people in the tree, it's harder to be mobile and hard. You know, you kind of got to have a little bit of a post, so to speak. You know, to sit and not every tree. hold a camera arm and two tree stands and the positions that we try to capture our video with. So I probably, over the years, we, I have a lot better spots to hunt to kill bigger deer, but some of those things, some of those sets, you couldn't see a deer coming or it just didn't create the story that we wanted to make. And so doing food plots, making a destination, entry, exit strategies those types of things you know we we just tried to go ninja level with you know our activities so we could maximize our time really I mean I hate to say it but yeah when you only have a couple of days to make it work you try to make it the best you can for that time right so would
0: you say that when you made the commitment to filming that almost forced your hand into changing the style of hunting that you wanted
1: some um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, especially with destination food plots or giving yourself an opportunity to see more deer. For the longest time, I just didn't realize how much of a whitetail's behavior was driven by food. I just, you know, whether I just didn't understand it or want to believe it, you know, I did not understand how much a deer really focuses on food. I mean, it is one of the key things that. Yeah. I mean, that's just how they survive. And yeah. I, I, di- I didn't, shame on me for not understanding that earlier, but now I understand it. And so we try to give them as much as we can, whether it be corn, beans, rye, wheat, clover, turnips, you name it. We just try to give them uh, every opportunity to get in front of us that we can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We so try to make it easy for them, I, I tell you. W-
0: when you made that transition, you know, to, I guess, having the camera guy come with you and making that commitment to filming, did you ever second guess yourself and say, man, I would rather kill a deer than I would, than I would, you know, get
1: video of them only a couple times after hunting for four months and not getting a target buck in front of us. But, you know, I will net, I never trade any memories, right? hunting with the HB guys and my kids like that. There's so much reward there. So it's never been a man. I just wish it were different. You know, that's when you harvest the dough. That's when you take a kid, you know, when you feel like you're in the grind, but I've never said, man, I just wish it were different. Yeah. There's been times where I've taken my recurve and, and, you know, a knife that my buddy forged, you know, out to the woods with three arrows you know, and leave all the, all the gadgets and gear behind and get back to my roots. So I've had a couple of resets like that, you know, just kind of a get back to the basics type thing, but all in all, I'll never trade the hours in a tree stand with a, with a friend.
0: Yeah. Are you, are you still filming with those guys?
1: As much as I can. Absolutely. Okay. I
0: didn't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't consume a lot of, uh, Hunting content outside of the occasional YouTube video, but uh, um, let me let me ask you this then. Uh, now you've you've done it right. You've you've dedicated some time to the the camera. You've dedicated some time to the food plots to yourself. Now walk us through how you have gone about introducing your kids and the next generation into hunting, and, and talk about maybe some ups and downs there. Cause I got a, I got a boy, my oldest boy, he's, I don't, you know, right now he doesn't seem too interested in it, but I have my oldest daughter who is way more interested, Like yesterday we were out fishing and I said, okay, it's time to go. And she started crying because <laughs> she wanted to fish longer. Uh, and then my other son, my, my youngest boy, he's two. So he doesn't know too much right now, but my other boy's five and he's not quite into it. Yet, like my daughter was into it at that time. So I want you to walk us through how you've gone about, you know, introducing your kids into hunting and talk about, you know, maybe some ups and downs and, you know, have you ever tried to, have you ever felt like you've pressured them or maybe some of the response that they've given to, to being outside?
1: Yeah, it's kind of the same. Sorry about that, shooty. It's kind of the same scenario with my daughter and son. Um, Miss Addie, when she was probably three years old, big blonde curls, you know, just a ball of energy. I'd take her turkey on with her and her grandpa and me, and I would take several Barbies and backpacks of candy and (laughs) books and those types of things. Right. But that's okay. That was the hook, and that's okay. And when she was tired of being there, we didn't hear any turkeys gobble she got bored I'd say hey you want to go look for frogs or turtles or mushrooms or you name it so on the walk out at least we would get some other interactive time in the outdoors and over time she really enjoyed whether it just was being outside or the attention from her dad or you name it but she really really enjoyed being outside and exploring Right. and my son not as much um, he's just not as mo- a morning person. So mornings for him are meant for sleeping, not getting up, right. you know, Addie would, you know, go to sleep in her hunting clothes, <laughs> <type of scenario. laughs> So, you know, she'd be bouncing off the walls as soon as she got out of bed. So that was a little easier, but I truly enjoyed time out in the door, out outdoors with him. And so they, they saw how much of passion that I had for the outdoors and they would come along and it made it, fun and exciting, too, and a little bit of work with Skylar when when we started filming, you know, 10 years ago together, that it was a little bit of a, little had had to do extra time, you know, to get ready and film some of those things, but it was, again, it was like a little mini hunt camp in the blind, right? So, whether we were spitting sunflower seeds or giggling or laughing, you know, I never got into the Hey, you need to be super quiet. You know, yeah. I would, we would say those things, but it really, it was just to try to give them an opportunity to see animals close. It wasn't like, Oh, you're going to ruin this. You know, we've yeah. always tried to invoke um, an excitement and a and a drive for them to want to do it, whether it be checking trail cameras or, you know, putting down mineral or whatever. Yeah. I mean, hopefully over the years, the viewers of Harlem Bohner have seen the lighter side of, some of the fun stuff that you get to do with your kids, you know, out, outdoors, uh, you know, throwing dirt clods at each other, you name it. Yeah. And so over the years, uh, I've just been blessed to have both kids harvest deer with, uh, you know, they started with a shotgun, harvested the first couple deer when they were, you know, be- before 10 years old, both of them. And then Addie shot her first deer actually with the bow on one of the episodes I think she might have been 10 or 11 uh, maybe 11 you know pulling 32 pounds and shot a little bow and then the next year shot a almost Pope and Young buck with her bow you know at 12 and so both kids have harvested deer with their bows and been on several episodes and those are my those are my absolute favorite yeah. episodes how ever. old are they now Miss Addie is uh, a senior so she, you know, depending on how the oh, graduation thing is. Yeah. So she's going to be graduating and be turning 18 here in a couple, you know, like in two weeks, of the last day of May and Tate is a freshman in high school. So okay. Saturday's getting ready to head off to college. Yeah. They grow up fast. Yeah. That's Don't crazy,
0: break. man. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what advice do you have for me? Give me some advice on, on how to get my kids pumped about the outdoors.
1: Yeah, man, I'm. I'm just gonna say it how it is. If it takes candy, if it takes a book, a Barbie, um, a, a soda pop, a picnic, and uh, you name it, whatever the hook is for them, they say kind of a kid, you know, has an attention span about of their in minutes about of their age, and so if you you know you can if you can get a fish to bite within three minutes, then you know it's going to keep them there. Right. And when they say, when they say I'm tired about it, like, Hey, I want to go, you go. I, yeah. mean, I, I don't know how many times I do have this one story. I remember kicking Addie turkey hunting one time. I had a, like a double bull blind in a, in a backpack, uh, strapped case and I had Addie sitting on my shoulders leaning against, you know, essentially she was in a recliner on my shoulders with the, with the blind back there carrying all kinds of gear for a half a mile in, you know, just killing myself to get to the spot. No joke within 20 minutes, no gobbles. And she's like, Hey, I'm kind of bored and <laughs> let's go. I'm like, you know, I said, are you sure? And she said, yeah, I, you know, this isn't fun for me. And I was like, okay, let's go look for some frogs uh, and turtles on the way out. And I was packing up. And then before long, we had a bag full of morel mushrooms. You know, she's super good at finding those. And so we, at least we had an experienced, That was good, and I've never said, hey, kids, stick it out. Yeah, tough it up. Made this investment. Oh, yeah. There's been times where I remember late season, those two turds, (laughs) and I say that lovingly, they surprised me beyond belief. I mean, I was cold, and they stuck it out, and Tate ended up shooting a really nice doe out of a Haybell blind on a Wurzig farm, and – I couldn't have been more proud of them because I know it was cold. I mean, yeah. the hot hands and hot toes probably had worn out, and it was just brutally cold. And, man, they stuck it out. And yeah. I was like, man, that is awesome. Yeah, Cause they want cool. I mean, they wanted the reward. They they just buckled in. And, man, i if they had said, let's go, I would have said, yeah, let, I am hurting. My toes are cold. Let's get out of here. And they never did.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. I, I tell you, um, I learned in a very short period of time – this was the first year I ever took my uh, daughter out turkey hunting and she was up at three 30 in the morning and I went out t- I had to go get a drink or go to the bathroom or something. And I walked out to the kitchen and she was already up sitting up on the couch. Like, is it time to go yet dad? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like I, in one hour when the alarm goes off then we'll start getting ready. But she walked to the blind in the dark without a flashlight. She, you know, was not afraid of it. She was pumped, ready to go. But one thing that I had to learn was, you know, I, I had this, this expectation in my head where a Tom was going to come in and we were going to, I was going to shoot it and we're, it's, you know, the perfect, the perfect scenario. Well, what I learned was that I think my expectations were too high. I need to learn how to, you know, get some lower expectation because she was making noise. She was moving around a lot. Uh, you know, she was talking, but she was, she was excited. So I think what I've, what I've come to accept is the fact that I need to maybe not expect, you know, uh, a a big, a big time hunting adventure and just take the little wins.
1: Yeah. You couldn't have said it better there. I'd say, and I was going to mention that before you, uh, you know, let me know about that story, which is awesome. I love hearing when kids are excited like that to get outdoors is you really just can't have, the only expectation you should have is to have fun. That's it. And give them the fun factor because if you, if that tangent gets into a direction where they think it's not fun, you lose. And so any, 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 any fun factor is a win, whether it be giggling or laughing or, you know, We, ours was putting face paint on each other so Addie would paint my face and I would paint hers and lo and behold I'd have you know X's and O's all over my face and you know it was fun it was a memory and anytime I had a chance to give them an opportunity to go to say hey I'm open this weekend do you want to go I wanted their answer to be yes and so I, I tried everything I could to make sure that it was a yes from them when I had time to take them yeah so let me
0: ask you this. Now your, your kids in the next five years are all going to be out of the house, right? And you, it's just going to be you and the wife. What do you plan to accomplish? I, you know, obviously you're still going to want to hunt and fish and do the outdoor thing with your kids. But as we come to realize kids grow up and they go and they do their own thing. What are you, what are your personal plans and goals for the next, you know, five, 10 years?
1: Well, I'm hoping that now that Addie's in college, she'll have a little extra time to hunt. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to that. You know, schedule might be a little more flexible. Um, so I, I hope to get more time with her out in the outdoors. Same thing with Tate. I know he's super busy with theater and, you know, all his extracurricular activities. So it's still hopefully going to keep them engaged in the outdoors. And for me, I'm sure I'll apply for of State tags um the thing about it is is skylar and i typically hunt together all the time and his kids are kind of getting a little bit you know they're probably five and three now so he he might not have as much time to get away but hopefully i can do some hunts that i just had to kind of put on pause for a while so montana elk uh, we've talked about going back up to canada to go moose hunting we did that hunt probably six seven years ago something like that so there's there's a few I'm not going to say bucket item list, but hopefully, with the flexibility that I have with Midwest Land Group, and as long as I'm successful doing you know what I'm doing, it gives me a little flexibility to maybe take a seven day trip somewhere else besides Kansas from Missouri. yeah, do you have a a bucket list hunt that you've
0: because it sounds like you've done elk before. It sounds like you've done moose before is there a is there another animal or or another state that you really want to get to? Uh In the next handful of years and, and experience another hunt,
1: man, other than just maybe caribou, like I've always and it's probably just to see the migration like yeah. I've always been a biology guy and love national geographic type stuff and so absolutely it it's not been a you know I'm not gonna spend extra time and effort to get there and pay out the nose to do it. it would be fun to see even even if I just went and took pictures of that stuff it would be awesome but i don't necessarily have a a bucket a bucket list hunt i know it's kind of a boring answer but it would be absolutely fun to go back up and harvest a moose myself skyler got one when we went back up there that me was amazing the scenery was amazing friends were amazing experience was amazing getting across the border was not amazing but (laughs) you know now what not to do (laughs) and so right right I'd, i'd say another moose hunt it's probably going to be in the cards. Yeah,
0: that's definitely on my list as well. Well, Clayton, man, I, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for uh, coming on, and thanks for BSing with me for a while. And uh, good luck the rest of the spring with, with whatever you're doing, and uh, good luck uh, this upcoming fall as well.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, man, appreciate the time. Uh, it was such a pleasure to get to talk about old memories too. Thanks for bringing some of those back. And uh, yeah, let's keep in touch.
0: And that brings us to the end of another Hunter Profile podcast here on the Nine Finger Chronicles. I have a feeling we're going to have Clayton on again because he has a really cool knowledge base for uh, land and strategy and um, planting food plots and all that stuff. So we may have him on before the season again just to BS with him. Other than that, man, if you're not subscribed to the Sportsman's Nation, uh, podcast or the nine finger chronicles podcast please go to itunes leave a five-star review get subscribed and uh, get all these on a regular basis man Um, i hate to i hate to be cocky but i really do think i'm putting out some really good content and if you if you listen carefully you can take away something from every single podcast, whether it's strategy, whether it's how to, how to balance work and life or uh, hunting and life, whether it is uh, you know one thing or the other. I really think that uh, that you can take a lot out of these podcasts. So uh, be sure to subscribe. Other than that, make sure you're visiting the Sportsman's Nation website, sportsmen'snation.com And uh, man, huge shout out to the partners of the nine finger chronicles right if it wasn't for them this isn't happening right so we have ozonics wasp lone wolf the average conservationist and vortex optics please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because it comes full circle right so uh and and I'll tell you another thing keep an ear out for upcoming episodes where i am going to be uh I'm going to be uh, probably doing some giveaways and we're going to be trying to get some products in your guys' hands. Other than that, man, be safe. Try to get outside, breathe some fresh air, get, get away from the stress of the world, and we'll talk to you next week.